The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Well, good morning, church family, and I'm glad that each and every one of you are part of this very first sermon in our summer mini-series that we are simply entitling Encore. And uh, the word Encore just means repeated presentation. And and every five years or so, uh, we like to take the opportunity to preach through portions and passages of Scripture uh, that we've preached through before, hence the name Encore. Uh, I've been here serving as a senior pastor at this church now for 10 years, and so this is the second time we're doing a series like this. We're not doing the same uh, passages that we did last time, but these are, these are some passages that have really resonated with me, and I believe passages that have really informed the culture and the DNA of our church over the years, and that's why I want to just spend some time uh, re-looking and re-addressing, re-engaging uh, some of these powerful scripture passages that have done so much in informing our church family. And so uh, in this series, as I preach through some of these passages, uh, I realize that for a few of us here, some of these passages will be familiar. And so I want to take a moment and just share with you maybe a couple of quick reasons uh, why we do this. Number one, uh, as we have grown over the last several years as a church family and then recently gone to a multiple service schedule, we have a 930 service as well as an 11 o'clock service. Many of the folks uh, that attend our church were not even here five years ago. And so some of these passages that we're teaching from, uh, they would have never been a part of us teaching through those passages. So that's one reason that we like to do a series like this every five years or so. And and occasionally, and I I know this doesn't happen with very many of you, but every once in a while, even those who've been around for a while, uh, miss a week of church. How many of you have ever missed a week of church before? All right, am I the, all right, every one of us at times will miss a week of church. And so maybe for some of us, even though we've been attending for a while, uh, for some of us, we might have not been able to be a part of some of this Bible teaching in these particular uh, passages. And and then for some of these, there's a couple of these um, passages that we're going to teach through over the next few weeks that I actually taught uh, in different environments. That is, I I taught them to a leadership, you know, group, a small group of of leaders at our church, or or maybe I taught at a meeting with just a a few folks. And and so some of these things were so impactful in that setting that I I wanted to take the opportunity to share it uh, with our church um, at large. And in fact, a couple of these passages um, were taught uh, here from uh, this uh, place like seven or eight years ago. And so the majority of us maybe not even we're not even able to be a part of that. And, and I do want you to know as we're moving through this and, and unpacking some of these passages, I, I am adding fresh content, new illustrations, so it will be fresh, even for those of you who have heard some of these passages uh, taught through before. But all that being said, for, for most of you, this will be the first time uh, that we're able to go through some of these scripture passages together over the next few weeks. And so I hope it'll be a help and an encouragement to you as it has been to me as I've had the opportunity of studying it. Uh, for the few of you here today uh, who have heard these passages and text taught before and they sound somewhat familiar, uh, I think it's always good every once in a while to be reminded of some of these things. In fact, the Apostle Paul regularly did this as he was teaching to those early churches. He would say things like this, I, I say this to stir up remembrance. And uh, there was something about not just learning something new, but being reminded of it that was so important for the early church. And I believe it's important for us. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Psalm, chapter number 104. Psalm chapter number 104 is where our text is going to be today. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 33, and we'll read down through there. To give you some context before we read our text this morning, the psalmist here in Psalm 103, 104, and 105 is giving us a deeper understanding into the nature and character of God. In fact, in Psalm 103, the psalmist is trying to unveil the character and the essence of God. He, he wants us to understand uh, the depth of who God is. Then in chapters 104, uh, the psalmist begins to unpack all of his creation and the majesty and the wonder of creation so we can understand God within the context of his creative being. And then in Psalms 105, 
the psalmist begins to help us more deeply understand and know all of his wondrous works and, and the many ways in which God works in this world even today. So we got Psalms 103, Psalms 104, Psalms 105. If you're worried that I'm going to try to teach through all three of these chapters this morning, uh, let me put your heart at ease. I will not, all right? But I want to focus on verse 33 because Right in the middle of these three chapters that are helping us understand and know God more deeply and more profoundly, there are these two verses that I want to zone in on that I believe is going to help us as, as believers today give us a more intense, enlightened understanding of who God is and how we can get to know Him better. Uh, for those of you who are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from our text today, Psalm 103. Our Bible study will begin in verse number 33, and uh, we'll read through verse number 34. The scriptures say in Psalm 104, verse number 33, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Notice verse number 34 where the psalmist said, my meditation of him, who? Of God, shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. This morning I want to speak on the subject of knowing God. Knowing God. Throughout this summer mini-series, you're going to notice a theme that starts to emerge I'm not going to give you all the details in advance, but as you come back each week, you'll start to see how all these uh, messages kind of fit together in a way that I think will cause our heart's affection to be stirred more deeply with love for God and Him as our Creator. Uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our Bible study. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God who makes Himself known to us as humanity. Lord, thank you for not being a distant deity who lives outside the realm of our understanding, but through your word and through your son, Jesus Christ, you have made yourself known to us as finite human beings. And I pray that we would not take the privilege that we have to know you, that we would not take that for granted, but that we would take the opportunity to know you and, and that we would allow our minds to be enlightened and our, our hearts to be enriched by the opportunity that we have to know you more deeply, to experience you more profoundly, and to love you more intensely. I pray that you'd bless your, our Bible study this morning as only your spirit can do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. Uh, when I was in college, going to seminary, preparing to be a pastor, uh, oftentimes in the dorm room, we would sit around and have conversations and, and debate theological elements of scripture and, and uh, theological things in the word of God. And I had a friend there who eventually ended up becoming a preacher. He became a pastor, an evangelist, in fact, uh, preached all over the country. And oftentimes we would have these conversations. And as we'd have these conversations, it became apparent that his view of God, the way he perceived God, the way he saw God was seeing God to be primarily an angry deity. And he might not have used those exact words, but as he would describe God, his view of God, his understanding of God was a God that was a very angry God. He, he had a very harsh view of God. He believed God to be primarily mad. That was like his default position. In fact, my friend believed that God wasn't just mad at, at just sin. He was literally mad at human beings. He was mad at individuals who, who didn't behave just the right way. They didn't cross their eye, uh, dot their I's and cross their T's. And, and his view of God was a, a God that was just upset all the time. He, he believed that God was primarily focused on judgment and confidence condemnation, and that was the emphasis in, in the, the worldview he had of God. And now, let me caveat this by saying, I certainly believe, based on the authority of the Word of God, that he is just and that he is holy. That is the character and essence of God based on the Bible. The Bible reveals also, though, that he is uh, also a abundant, uh, he is a benevolent Heavenly Father who is loving who is uh, gracious and who is merciful. 
And, and to be honest, my friends, what I would call incomplete view of God uh, really had a big effect on his personality. This friend could be somewhat harsh. He could often be critical. He'd get agitated. Sometimes a superiority complex would kind of emerge to the point where even though he was training to go into ministry and be a pastor, he was very, very difficult to get along with. I was saddened recently when I discovered that this friend who had been preaching for years and years and pastoring for years and years um, is no longer pastoring. He's no longer preaching. In fact, he, he no longer even goes to church. He doesn't want anything to do with God. And the reason is, is he is so, he is so upset and frustrated over the fact that God is so often angry with him. He's overwhelmed by the fact that God is constantly mad at him, that he can't bear the weight of that reality any longer. From my perspective, I would say that this friend has not rejected the God of the Bible, but rather he has rejected a perspective of God that was created by his own imagination, being informed by small proof texts found within the scriptures. But at its essence, a figment of his imagination. You say, why, why do you share that story with us? It was the insightful theologian A.W. Tozer who said this, and I want us to think about this for a moment. A.W. Tozer said, when it, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing in our lives. It's the most influential thing in our lives, which brings us to our theme this morning, and that is this. Nothing impacts our lives more than the thoughts we hold in our mind about God. Whether you're consciously aware of it or not, your perspective, your paradigm, your worldview of who God is has a deep and profound impact on both what you believe and what you value inwardly and then it plays out in your behavior and in your actions, which is why we say nothing impacts our lives more than the thoughts we hold in our head about God. Throughout this sermon, I'm going to unpack this reality, but I, I really want you to get this. It, it really does set the stage on where we're going. Because what you hold in your mind, the perspective, the, the um, details that you hold in your mind about God, the way you see God, the way you view him, will have a massive impact on how you ultimately live out your life. The attitudes that permeate your being and the values that you most deeply hold to. So let me ask you this question as part of our introduction. What comes to your mind when you think about God? For me, there are several different aspects that emerge in my consciousness. I, I think about God's character. I think about God's works. I think about some of his attributes. I'm also reminded of some of the unique names of God. So let's talk about some of these individually. When we're talking about God's character, we are literally describing the essence of all that God is. We're not just talking about something that he expresses or some of his attributes, but his character, his, his essence, his, his, the very uh, core of, of who he is. We would have to say and we would have to see from scriptures that these things would involve things such as holiness and love and mercy. Uh, holiness is more than just God's moral superiority. Uh, some people will use the terminology of God being holy, and what they mean when they say God is holy is they mean that God is morally superior to the rest of us. And while that most certainly is an aspect of what holiness means, holiness in its pure, truest biblical definition is much broader and much larger than the fact of the way we understand moral superiority. 
superiority. When we talk about holiness, we are literally talking about the uniqueness of God or God for all that he is. So when we say God's holiness, we are saying God's wholeness. We are saying everything that makes God, God. Everything that makes God unique. Everything that makes God different from us as created beings. That is his holiness, which includes, yes, some level of moral superiority, but it is all the things that make God, God. His holiness. That's why the angels cry, holy, holy, holy. God is unique. God is separate. He is a whole entity, to himself. He's holy. But he's also loving. Sometimes people get the idea that God simply gives love. Like he reaches back in his cosmic cabinet and pulls out some compassion and then bestows it upon us. This, my friend, is not an accurate perspective of agape, unconditional love. No, God does not just extend love to us as human beings. The scriptures reveal in 1 John that God is love. It is a part of his essence. It is a part of his character. It is not just something he extends. It is something that he is. And we have a world of people running around trying to experience unconditional love, but they want nothing to do with God. My friend, that is an impossibility. It's an attempt in futility. You can't experience unconditional love without also experiencing God. And when you truly experience God, By default, you experience love because that is who God is. He's holy, he's loving, and yet he's gracious and merciful. His mercies are new every morning. Oh, these are his character. These are his uh, essence of who he is. I I don't just think about his character. I don't just think about his essence. I also think about his works. Our God is a powerful God. The scriptures reveal to us that he is a creative God. In fact, the Bible says that with his very words, he spoke this world into its existence. He breathed life into all humanity. All it took was a word from God, and all that we see was created. He is a creative God. His work is involved in being the creator of the universe. The Bible says in the book of uh, Genesis that as he's creating, it says, oh yeah, and he created the stars also. Terminology that's used. it's, It's almost as if God was like, I speak the world into its existence, and then almost as an afterthought, he was like, oh yeah, let me fling a few billion stars into the cosmos. The works of what he's able to accomplish with his word. He's a creative God. But not only is he the creator of the universe, he is the sustainer of all life. In him we live, in him we breathe, and in him we have our being, the book of Acts tells us. He does not just create all that there is. It is by him and through him that we sustain, that we have our being, that we survive. He is sustainer. These are his works. He creates. He sustains. (laughs) I think of his most majestic, wondrous work was accomplished at Calvary on an old rugged cross where he sent his son to die, to take the punishment of our sin upon himself and finished the work that was needed for our justification and salvation. These are God's works. When I I think about who God is, I I think of his character, I I think of his works, I, I think of his attributes. Yes, there are things that God is, but there is also things that God does. Uh, When we were in seminary, we were given kind of fancy words like omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent. And and you say, what do these words mean? Omnipresent just simply means that he is all present. There's nowhere you can go where God can't go. He's everywhere. He's in all places. 
The word omniscient means that he is all-knowing. That's a scary thought. (laughs) All-knowing. One philosopher said it this way, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Why is that the truth? Why is that the case? Because he is all-knowing. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. What does that mean? He's all-powerful. There is nothing that our God cannot do. There is nothing our God can't accomplish. And, and what I love about this is, yes, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnicompassionate. All love exists in God. I, I think what's interesting about this is, is that God doesn't just have some of these attributes, but he's a matrix of these attributes. All of these attributes find themselves in his character. And I think this is important. You say, why? Because if God was all-knowing, he knew everything, but he wasn't powerful, what kind of God would that be? He knows about what's going on in your life. He knows, you know, what the future's going to hold. He knows what needs to take place, but he's like, ah, I don't have any power to do anything about it. But you see, he's not just all-knowing, he's also omnipotent, he's all-powerful. He can do something about what he knows. But not only is he omnipotent, and not only is omniscient, he's also omnicompassionate. What, what if you had a God who knew everything, he could do anything about everything, but he didn't care? He was just distant and apathetic. He wasn't all-loving then he could know everything. He would potentially have the power to do anything that he needed to do, but because he was apathetic, because he didn't care, he wouldn't. And yet we find in the character and attributes of God this matrix of deity and the attributes of deity. I think about his character. I think about his works. I think about his attributes. I think about God's names. Throughout the scripture, many different names are given to help us as finite human beings have a deeper, more profound understanding and to really help us be enlightened into who God actually is. We're told that he's given the name Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai. Jehovah Jireh and the names and lists goes on and on and on and every single one of these names is like a prism and we can look at different aspects of these prism and and see the light that shines through it and it gives us a different perspective to the nature of all that God is because we're finite human beings and one singular word, one singular name couldn't fully capture the essence of all that God is and so he helps us understand himself through these names. What comes to your mind when you think about God. You say, but why even take the time to acknowledge these aspects of God? Like, what is the point? Here's why. As we said before, because what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most influential thing in our lives. And you might be here and not even believe in God. And that thought about God is influencing you profoundly. Because what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most influential thing in your life. Because nothing, my friend, impacts our lives more than the thoughts we hold in our mind about Him. So, this morning, I want to go to our passage And I want to share with you a few important insights that I pray will help you to know and understand God just a little bit more deeply, all right? So let's turn to Psalms 139. Psalms 139, we'll throw it on the screens, but here's what the scriptures say. The Bible says in Psalm 139, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. 
<laughs> Let this sink in. It says here, how precious also are thy thoughts. The psalmist is saying, oh, the thoughts that, this, we're not talking about the thoughts that we have toward God now. It's saying the, the thoughts that God has toward us, those are precious. He goes on to say, and great is the sum of them. In fact, he has so many precious thoughts. He has so many benevolent thoughts. He has so many loving thoughts. He has so many merciful thoughts that if I should count them, they are more in number, notice this, than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Have you ever tried to count the grains of sand on the seashore? I mean, even just taking one handful of sand and trying to count how many grains of sand there would be very difficult. To, to try to count the grains of sand on a beach would be nearly impossible, but try to imagine counting every grain of sand on the planet. Every desert, every beach, and the scriptures declare that God's loving, benevolent thoughts toward you are more than that. Wow. It was the famous preacher from the 18th century, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he they called him the Prince of Preachers. He had a large church in London, some say the first kind of mega church, seeing so many people come to faith in Christ and repentance. It's just a phenomenal preacher from the 1800s. Here's what he had to say in one of his uh, commentaries. He said, God's thoughts of you are many. Let not your thoughts of him be few in return. So let's go back to our text here in Psalm 104, verse 33. I want you to see a few words in our text. It says here in verse uh, 33, he says, I'll sing unto the Lord. It goes on to say, I'll praise my God. It goes on to say, I'll, I'll meditate on him. He goes on to say, I'll be glad in the Lord. Literally, I'm just going to enjoy him. And in these passages, as he's speaking in Psalm 103 and 104 and 105, and he's helping us understand all that there is to know of God, his works, his creation, his character. In the middle of all this, he says, my, I'm going to direct my focus. I'm going to direct my attention toward this God. Which brings us to our first primary thought from this passage in our Bible study this morning, and that's this. If we are going to know God deeply, we too must direct our focus towards God. We will never get to know someone that we give no attention to. And so the psalmist David in this passage says, man, I'm going to sing unto God. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to meditate on God. I'm going to enjoy God because there's no way to know him outside of our individual focus. There's no way to understand who he is outside of our conscious attention. And this is why it's so important that we as finite human beings are directing our focus towards God. One theologian said this, the more we know of God, the happier we are. Now for some of you, that might not resonate true to you at first glance. But I would say it's because you don't truly know God. The more you know God, the happier you are. You say, how would that play itself out? If you know and you're experiencing God as being powerful and you're experiencing him as being trustworthy and you're experiencing him as being loving, that it doesn't matter the trials that you might be finding yourself in this life. If you deeply believe that God knows about it and you deeply believe that God is powerful enough to direct your steps and you believe that he loves you enough to keep you from those things that will ultimately harm you and ultimately hurt you, if you deeply believe that, 
then even in the midst of trial and even in the midst of difficulty, there will be a peace that passeth understanding because your thoughts are anchored to something higher than yourself. You know that God will work all things together for good. So those who know God, the more we know God, the more we have the potential to have joy and happiness because our consciousness is anchored to a higher reality. Our our tension isn't limited by what we see in this physical realm. Our thoughts transcend what we see in the physical realm because we add God to the equation of our circumstances. If we were to take what we just said and flip the coin around, not only the more we know of God, the happier we are, I would add to that that our biggest problems in life are actually um, anchored to an inadequate view of God. And I think I could play this out again and again and again and again. Biggest problems you face are anchored to an inadequate view of God. If you don't believe that God has all grace and love available to you, then you will look to a thousand things smaller than him to find satisfaction in. But when you truly deeply believe that he is a God of all grace and a God of all comfort, no longer do you have to meander around in this world looking for things that might ultimately hurt your life and hurt your future to find momentary satisfaction because your satisfaction is anchored to the one that you truly believe gives all satisfaction, gives all fulfillment, and brings all contentment. All of that is found in that relationship with God and you are no longer in bondage to looking to a thousand things smaller than the character of God to bring you that fulfillment. And that's why I say again, our biggest problems, whether we realize it or not, are anchored to an inadequate view of all that God is. And we don't find God as being satisfying, and we don't see him as being fulfilling, and we don't see him as bringing contentment, and we don't see him as truly loving or truly trustworthy, and so it causes dozens and dozens of psychological and behavioral issues in our everyday life. Oh, that we would direct our attention toward God. So real briefly here, let me just give you a couple of practical ways we can direct our focus towards God and get to know him more deeply. If this is, if this is how God bestows grace and this is how we experience grace, what are the practicalities of this? Uh, several of the things are mentioned right here in our text. Praising God singing unto him, meditating on him. These are just a few of the practical ways that we get to know God. These are a few of the practical ways that we get to understand him more deeply. But if I were to add to that list as we read through the scriptures, we'll find, very, we'll find more uh, practical ways in which to direct our fo- focus towards God. One is through reading and studying the scriptures. Reading and studying the scriptures is one way in which we get to know the heart of our God more deeply and more profoundly. God gave us this book so that we would know him and experience him. Can I just kindly and humbly say, if all of the Bible that you're getting is on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock, you're probably feeling a little weak emotionally and spiritually. You can't just eat one spiritual meal a week and expect to be able to thrive. Just like in the physical realm, if you just ate one meal on a Sunday morning, that you feel like you're gonna have the strength to make it through the week. It's just, it's futile. It's it's not even logical. Oh, that we would get into the word and that we would not just read it, but we would study it, we'd, we'd consume it. Why, so we can find a list of rules that our spouse is supposed to obey? No, so we could know him and the power of his resurrection that we'd be able to experience him and enjoy him the way he desires for us to enjoy him, uh, reading and studying the scripture. Uh, Another way is through biblical preaching and teaching. I think it's so important, even in a postmodern society, and I I realize that, that preaching is starting to go the way of the dinosaur, but I believe that good biblical preaching, biblical teaching is still as important today as it was 2,000 years ago. 
And as the word of God is opened, that we would allow ourselves regularly to sit under the preaching and teaching of God's work. And one of the reasons here at Ambassador that we have a preaching team is because even your pastors need to sit under the preaching and teaching of God's word. Last week, I got to sit down, and a couple weeks ago, sit down under the preaching. This is something that we all have to be a part of and make priorities in our lives. I think of scripture memorization as another way we can direct our focus toward knowing God, memorizing his word, looking for ways to push his word into our minds, helps us to get to know him and understand him more deeply. I think of attendance to a local church assembly, being a part of connection group Bible studies. These are ways that we can direct our focus toward God. The author of Hebrews in chapter number 11 said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. It basically, uh, the Apostle Paul was saying, hey, I know some people are doing this. They're not going to church. They're not assembling together. And he said, this is not healthy for you. This is gonna cause you to grow anemic. We need to prioritize the assembling of ourselves together. This is an important part of being healthy and an important part of experiencing more deeply and profoundly the grace that God makes available to all of us. I think of Christ-focused worship music. This text speaks of this. Some of the songs we sing that help us to fix our attention on the character and attributes of God. These are so vital and so important. Oh, meditating on God's character and attributes as we did a few moments ago in the sermon, just, just doing that. Have you ever had a time where you just, on a dark summer night, you just laid out maybe under the stars and you looked up at the heavens. You begin to just kind of take in the cosmos, all the stars that your naked eye could see and it just starts to give you a perspective of God's bigness and his greatness and you just soak in it our God is big and far beyond what I can even see with my naked eyes billions of galaxies upon billions of galaxies just forever I mean, just the, the bigness of your God ruminate on that every once in a while meditate on that focus on that it's so important you say why 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 i come to church pastor because nothing impacts our lives more than the thoughts that we hold in our mind about god make them big thoughts give them place in your consciousness and direct your focus towards God. But let's keep reading. Notice what else it says in this passage. He says, I'll sing unto the Lord. Notice this next phrase. As long as I live. That's interesting. He said, this is not just something I'm going to do for a moment. It's not just something I'm going to do after I go to summer camp and get all excited. It's not just something I'm going to do for three weeks after revival meeting. It's not just something I'm going to do for a couple hours after I go to church. It's not just something I do when I'm driving down the road and I'm hearing an exciting worship song. No, he says, I, I, this is something I'm gonna do forever. I'm gonna do this for as long as I live. As long as my lungs have breath. As long as my heart beats. He goes on to say at the end of the verse, while I have my being, I'm gonna direct my focus towards God. Which leads us to our final thought from this passage. And that's this. Not only can we direct our focus towards God by his grace, and God's grace makes this possible, but I want you to see secondly and finally, we can also keep our focus on God. We can do this for as long as we live. We can do this for as long as we have our being. We can keep our focus on God. So yes, it is important to direct our focus, and a lot of us are doing it. The fact you're in church today means that there are times where you are directing your focus towards God. And I want to commend you for that. It shows that you value the things of God. You value knowing Him and understanding Him. But it's, uh, it's not enough to simply focus on Him every once in a while. I want to encourage you to keep your focus on God, that you develop a perspective of life, I, I might use this word, that you would develop a paradigm of life, a, a worldview that allows you to see everything in this life through the lens of deity. So it's not like I'm looking at God and I'm looking at the world, I'm looking at God, looking, it's not like this, this, this kind of schizophrenia. It's about a worldview where you see everything through the lens of all that God is. And that's what we're talking about. 
keeping our focus on God and looking through his character and through his attributes and through his works to allow that perspective to inform how we interpret what it is we're seeing. You guys following along? I'm talking about always keeping your focus on God. So, why don't we do this? I mean, I don't think this is new information for any of us. And let me give you my thoughts. It's because in the 21st century, we have thousands of things that attempt to distract us from the main thing. We've got the World Wide Web, social media, Facebook, Instagram. We've got a million different magazines, so many movies, so much entertainment, everything to distract, distract, distract from careers that make us money uh, to areas where we can try to grow our social influence and our fame and our celebrity status. There are so many things that seek to distract us. And oftentimes they're not even bad things. They do distract us from the main thing. And not only are there distractions that aren't inherently bad, but then we've got the pains and trials and hardships of life. How many of you have ever gone through something difficult in your marriage, in your finances? And the reality is those things become distracting, don't they? They, The pain just draws your attention toward it. The hurt pulls your consciousness in that direction. And so between the distractions of this world, between the pains of this life, it's extremely difficult to keep our focus fixed on him. It's terribly hard to functionally do this. But notice what Hebrews 11 says. But without faith, it is impossible. We're going to go on and reading this in a moment, but I want you to see this. Faith is what makes what we're going to talk about possible. We have to do it with a posture of expectation, a posture of belief, a posture of faith that that it is possible in some degree. Notice, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them, here's the word, diligently seek him. If we are going to maintain and keep our focus and attention on God, it is something that we're going to have to be diligent about in the 21st century. This is not going to happen on accident. Because if you just allow whatever will be, will be, I promise you this, it will not fix your attention on God. And then you will have to live with the behavioral, emotional, psychological consequences of that reality. And this is why we're told, we're encouraged that this is something that can be done by faith. It's not in our own works. We have faith in God that he can do it in us and he can do it through us. It's God that both worketh in And God that performs, we understand that we have to surrender to that sovereignty, allow God to do it through us. But there's a posture of humility, a posture of surrender. And by faith, we believe that God can do this through us, that he can give us the strength to diligently posture our hearts to continually experience God. Now, I think it's really important to to caveat this here. As we are diligently focusing on God, this does not make God throw grace and blessing and favor upon us. We've said this before. It's not like, well, God, look how diligent I'm being, you know, pulling myself up by the bootstraps, trying as hard as I can, you know, really putting self-discipline, hard work about it, and now God is going to pour out grace, and he's going to pour out favor, and he's going to pour out blessing upon me. It's not how this works. According to Ephesians chapter number one, all spiritual blessing has been bestowed upon you. It is in being diligent in our focus that we posture our heart to experience the grace that he has already made available. It is with a heart posture of faith and surrender that we lean into that place. (laughs) It's two weeks in a row, right? It's by faith that we lean into that place where we can enjoy the grace and blessing that God has already given. It's by faith that we are able to position ourselves in a place where we can more deeply and more profoundly sense the grace that's already there for us. We are not doing this, making God say, ooh, look, good Christian, there you go. No, God's pouring it out, pouring it out, pouring out, pouring out grace, pouring out favor, pouring out blessing. And this faith and this diligence puts us in a position to actually experience what he's already given. Faith is what allows us to unwrap the gift of God's grace that has already been gifted to us. But there are people in this room 
who are not experiencing the grace that God makes available to them. That is to say, they are, they are not experiencing a peace that passeth understanding. It is their birthright. It's part of their divine inheritance from the Spirit of God, but they're not enjoying it. It's theirs, but they're, but they're not actualized. It's not, it's not something they're experiencing in their everyday existence. There might be some in this room, and, and, and the joy of the Lord, it's, it's, it's yours. By faith, you can experience it right here, right now, but you're not. Because you're not diligently keeping your focus fixed on him and posturing your heart to experience the joy that he makes available to all of his children. And that's what I desire for you. That you would come to a place where you begin to fight for your joy. And I don't want to be the only person, and we don't just need pastors and connection group leaders who are fighting more for your joy than you're fighting for it yourself. We love you. And we want you to experience the riches of his grace. Fight for your joy. Not because it's not there, but by faith. It's a, it's a fight of faith, believing that what God has declared in his word is true in your reality. That what God says in the heavenlies can be your experience here on earth by faith enjoying and experiencing that which has already been declared yours. But we have, how, does, how do we experience it? By faith, diligently keeping our focus fixed on him. I'm gonna throw this up on the screen because I think it's important to get this. Somebody might say, well, you know, I go to church once a week or every once in a while, once a month or so, I really get in the Bible and study it out or, you know, I, I mean, really once, I'll go to you know, a worship concert and I'll really turn my, turn my attention toward God and I do it sporadically. Let me, let me say this. A man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough today to last him for the next six months. <laughs> Let that sink in for a moment. Now, I know some of us have been to Hometown Buffet, and we've tried to. <laughs> How many of you after Thanksgiving, you're like, oh, I'm going to try to pack this thing in. You try to eat and eat and eat. You feel like, ah, man, I'm so stuffed. I couldn't eat for another two months. And then what are you doing that night? <laughs> Making turkey sandwiches, you know? <laughs> But the reality is in the physical realm, you know, we can't eat a meal today and expect it to last us for six months. And, and no more can we take in a supply of grace and posture our heart for grace that'll, like, I went to church once and that's enough grace for the next year. No. Nor can the human being inhale sufficient air in his lungs with one breath to sustain life for a week to come. What about, what about if I challenged everybody in this room? Take the biggest deepest breath you can and hold on to it because that's all you get for the rest of the week. <laughs> I don't care how big that breath is, it ain't gonna last. We are permitted to draw upon God's store of grace from day to day as we need it. This is why it's so important to continually, by faith, appropriate the grace that we need for that day. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. As this passage tells us, let's direct our focus towards God. But then, even more importantly, let's keep our attention on God. Why? Because what comes to our lives when we think about God is the most influential thing in our lives. Whether you believe in God or not is not the point. Then that thought about God has influenced your life profoundly and maybe even more consequently. Why? It doesn't take a psychologist or neuroscientist to help you understand that the human consciousness only has the capacity to hold a limited amount of focus on a particular subject at any moment in time. That is, you know this. You can only focus on one thing at a time. You can only, you can only keep your attention on one thing at a time. Therefore, if you have a very small view of God if you only turn your focus and attention toward him in, in limited quantities, then the problems and trials in your life are going to seem huge in your conscious awareness because you're gonna give those pains, those problems, those trials so much room. But conversely, 
if you keep your focus on God and you're dil- diligently by faith, believing that God will use this as a conduit of your grace to experience him more deeply and profoundly, and you hold God in, in a large view and you give him much of your attention and much of your focus, if you have a big view of God, consequently, you will tend to have a smaller view of your problems. My friend, you can't do both, though. When you have a big view of God, it's going to give you a limited, small perspective of problems. But when you are focused and fixated and obsessed with problems and bills, and you're going to have a small view of God. You say, how does this work out practically? All of a sudden, you get a bill in the mail. I don't know how I'm going to pay it. We don't have enough money in the bank account. What are we going to do? I could either obsess on how am I going to pay for this bill and what am I going to do and fret and worry and grow anxious and ah, stress out about it. Fixate on that. Or we can focus on the character and promises of God and allow God's promises to take up the majority of our attention and focus and we can remind ourselves that my God shall provide all my need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And we can fix our heart and mind on the promises and the character of who God is. We fix our mind on that and the problem seems to diminish in comparison. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I feel so lonely. I don't feel like anybody at the church likes me. I don't feel like I have any friends at work. I feel so alone. Nobody understands me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. And you obsess upon that. I'm never, how am I going to make it? I don't have a support. I don't have people to, 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 to encourage. And that's your obsession. That's what you focus on. That's what you fixate on. And that big view of your problem causes you to have limited attention and focus on God. But conversely, you could get a big view of God, a big focus on God. You know what? And you remind yourself that you have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother and that your God will never leave you and he will never forsake you and allow that reality to take up the majority of your focus, attention, and consciousness. And you will find, and conversely, that your view of problems, your focus on problems diminish. And notice this, wherever your focus is is where your feelings follow. And if your focus is on God, your feelings will follow that. Your focus on problems, your feelings will follow that. Lead your feelings Don't follow your feelings. Fix your heart on God, the author and finisher of your faith. He started this thing. He will finish it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Why? Because nothing influences our behavior more than the thoughts we hold in our mind about God. So let's end with this. What's the takeaway? When you fix your focus in life on God, God will fix your life. You fix your focus on him. Get a big view of God. Surrender and humility to that. And in comparison, your view and perspective of problems begin to diminish. Perspectives begin to change. Behaviors that flow from those perspectives are altered. And slowly, through a spirit of humility and surrender and focus on God, God fixes life. He does what only he can do. You can't, I can't, but he can. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.